yeah, certainly for people who come with more experience, if you've been responsible for a team or multiple teams or lots of different people, when you're back in a situation where it's a non-hierarchical classroom environment where you might have to be working in groups of people that don't have that kind of experience, of course that's going to be a challenge for you. The skills that we possess are becoming relevant for less and less time in the current employment market. So today we are talking to General Assembly's Callum Goodwilliam all about continuous learning and getting insight from him about how they go educating and building an inclusive learning environment. My name is David Savage and this is Tech Talks, your twice weekly podcast now publishing on Tuesdays and Fridays to keep you on your toes, uh, talking to leaders across the sector. So whether you're a peer trying to get a little bit of insight or you're just a tech enthusiast who wants to find out more, this is the podcast for you. Joining me on today's podcast, we have Tech Talks regular Sean Bradley. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. You sound uh, better than when we last spoke. Exactly, yeah. Not really crisp anymore. I'm all good. Uh, have a bit of a voice back. Not breaking into really intense coughing fits. Just the occasional. <laughs> so good. All round positive. <laughs> it, it might be me today. I um, I have a bit of a sore throat and I was hosting an event last night uh, whilst I was moderating the panel. Um, all the water was really ice cold. So oh. my wife said to me, I was texting my wife because she used to sing a lot and she did acting. Um, and I was like, oh, I've got, got a bit of a sore throat. She said, you need to drink some some liquid at room temperature. The only thing yeah. they had that was room temperature was red wine. So, you know, there we go. Um, yeah. I decided glass of red wine whilst doing the panel appropriate entirely how did it go down the panel or the or the red wine the red wine (laughs) (laughs) i hope both were fine yeah the the red wine was very nice it was very nice to be fair kind of asking some questions and then kind of you know every now and then having a having a having a subtle taste of some some wine it was very nice Hmm. very very pleasant yeah very very refined yeah that's super whenever you've got a bit of red wine you feel you feel super fancy don't you wherever you are (laughs) absolutely absolutely that was good it was it was it was at the guardian as well so i felt entirely liberal oh yeah very yeah. journal of you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Somehow I I got past security. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> um, on today's show, we have Callum Goodwilliam. Uh, he is from General Assembly. So guess what? We're talking all about skills and continuous learning. We'll hand over to Callum. Stay tuned, though. Myself and Sean will have some thoughts on it afterwards. And then later in the show, I'm joined by Alistair Brown to talk about Bite Night. So today we're talking to Callum. Uh, Callum, thanks for coming in and spending some time on the podcast. Thanks very much. You're an instructor manager from General Assembly. Yes. What exactly is an instructor manager and who are GA, just in case someone isn't familiar with the business? Sure. So um, an instructor manager is essentially someone responsible for the hiring, supporting and training of all of the instructors that we have in Mm -hmm. our classrooms at General Assembly. I work with... Uh, the delivery team here for London and Europe predominantly mm-hmm. um, but my role normally is sitting within a team that at the point where a student is going to join our program once they've gone through the admissions process yep. um, our team will be kind of taking on the, the responsibility of looking after that student making sure they've prepared everything they need to before they get into the classroom sorry possibly stupid question mm-hmm. but an instructor immediately makes me think of something like a driving test yeah. but this is a classroom environment why, why the choice of the word instructor that's a really, that's a good question, actually. I mean, m- historically, in my time at GA, I've been there about three and a half years. We've always used the term instructor. Yeah. Um, I, I guess for us, it's because 
uh, they're not teachers in the traditional sense. We're not taking people who've been trained in teaching or spent years and years in the classroom. So GA specializes in offering um, a whole range of different programming from full-time, part-time uh, to bespoke training for, for various organizations in today's kind of most in-demand skills across kind of tech, design, data, uh, and business sectors. So um, for us, the kind of key, one of the key components of that is about working with industry and working with industry experts and subject matter experts mm. um, to create the content and the curriculum. So all of our courses are designed in partnership with industry uh, and all of the content is delivered by instructors who've come in, come into the industry. So uh, come from the industry, sorry. So essentially we bring people in who are currently working. Say for example, you're interested in studying data science. Um, we'll be bringing in someone who's worked in a role as a data scientist. They're coming into the classroom with us we train them to become instructors uh, uh, through our kind of process of onboarding and then they are taking the skills and knowledge that they have and imparting that obviously to, to a classroom full of uh, hopefully avid and potentially keen, like excited learners. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to come back to the diversity that you must see in your student base because you know, when I think back to university, mature students were seen as... Um, the minority, whereas now where you've got continuous learning, where it's a great space for GA to be in, given given that continuous learning has taken on such importance with the rate of, I suppose, the rate your skills depreciate in the current marketplace and the needs to continually retrain. And, and it'd be good to touch on that later, but you have an educate your tr- more traditional education background yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, I, that was one of those things of, so something like GA didn't exist for me when I studied I graduated in 2008, which feels like a lifetime ago What did now. you study? Um, I studied performing arts, actually. I studied right. film, film and theatre. Um, with my background, one of the things that I thought about initially after leaving university was whether I went into a teaching route. So I have a number of friends that went down the kind of traditional teaching route. Um, I didn't have the best time in secondary school. Like, uh, as I went through the different kind of stages, that I secondary school was pretty tough. I loved uh, college and university was even better. Like, it kind of got better and better. Yeah. Um, but so the idea of going back to the environment didn't appeal yeah that, and there was there was like i wanted to work with people and at the time i really wanted to work with young people and so and also when i moved back to my hometown there wasn't a huge amount of um film production or theater happening there but there was a, a lot of emphasis uh, and a number of small organizations doing um work in the non-profit sector supporting mm-hmm. schools and particularly in the arts um and there's a wonderful um charitable organization called the hive uh, music and media center um that was one that gave me my first opportunity to be involved with that kind of thing and i started out as a volunteer there and ended up um learning facilitation skills so started then doing workshop uh, program delivery and essentially i was good at a few different things and related to the arts like a jack of all trades master of none there wasn't one particular area that i was particularly good at but it made me quite versatile in being able to work across lots mm. of different program types. Now, we were talking about the fact that you've got students from all sorts of different backgrounds at General Assembly. Mm. One thing that strikes me as really interesting is that at schools, you generally have one teaching style that all students are ex- generally, or I don't know whether this is still the case, maybe this is outdated, but most students are expected to respond to one particular teaching style. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I think back to my own school, in the entire school, there was one person across all of the year groups from a, from a minority group. Whereas at General Assembly, you're going to have people who want to learn, you're going to have them coming from all different areas and, and diverse backgrounds. And I suppose an awareness that not everyone learns in the same way. So it's interesting you start talking about e-learning and, and those various different modes. How do you go and create an inclusive environment 
that works for everyone whilst at the same time not being horribly fragmented because that actually must be a challenge to kind of pull something together that's coherent. One of the things that we try very hard to do in our uh, training of our instructors and kind of the building of our classrooms is just to recognize difference within the classrooms. Um, you know, people come in, the average age of our students is 28. Um, so we have obviously people who are from early in their career, maybe fresh out of uh, university, uh, up to people who have maybe have much more career experience, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years plus, who might just be looking to upskill in a particular area, mm. or maybe because they just want to learn something new that they've never had an opportunity to study previously. Um, regardless of that kind of, that difference, I think the things that we put a lot of emphasis on is that, well, a couple of things. First of all, depending on the program, we have kind of baseline requirements in terms of pre-work and preparation. So if you're going to come into the classroom and you're going to start studying a topic, we want you to have done like X number of hours on this particular area so that everyone's got a, a base understanding. That means that you've got a starting point, hopefully, where pretty much everyone's in the same place or in a kind of similar place to kind of move along through the learning together. Mm. Um, and the other thing that we try very hard to do is just, rec like I said, recognize that people have different uh, needs uh, when it comes to studying, our, our classrooms are, you know, we, we require a, a lot, depending on the program you're doing, um, it requires a lot of your time, attention and energy. And we know that that's a, a kind of part of, you know, I don't think we kind of generally refer to ourselves as a boot camp, but we like emerged from that era of coding boot camps kind of first starting. Obviously, we kind of teach a, a whole bunch of different things just beyond web development at this point. Um, but we try very hard to to recognize we have the constraints of you're going to be here. For example, if you're going to do an immersive program with us, which is our like nine to five career change program, um, it's not just nine to five. You're going to be studying during the daytime. You'll have homework in the evening. Yeah. It's three months. If you're going to change career, you kind of need to like give it your all and, and dedicate that time and energy and, and, and be here. But if you're going to come and do that, we know that people will need to work hard, but they also need to look after themselves on, along the way. They might have their own, you know, family commitments, different circumstances. I think the things that we try really hard to do is be human in our approach to people. Um, when, and often that just means about building a safe environment for people to learn and to fail and to get things wrong. If you're going to be working really hard with a bunch of people that you've only just met over the space of, you know, 12 weeks, you have to feel like you can push yourself and you have to feel like your instructors are invested in your success. They care about your goals. Um, and they really care about the subject as well. Mm -hmm. Like if you've been working all through the night trying to crack something, you need to be surrounded by people who are also interested in solving the same problems. Is, is it a challenge sometimes as, as the instructor, if you've got someone, say, who's uh, slightly more senior in their role, they are used to being in a, in a, in a position of seniority, mm -hmm. getting them to kind of, I suppose, get into student mode? One of the things... I've heard a lot from people on the other side of the programs, especially the full-time programs, is it's like relearning how to learn or like undoing some of the programming that you've either gone through from your previous learning experiences or what you've gone through through work. Um, you know, all of those experiences are valid. That's not to say that like you shouldn't recognize no, of course, those yeah. experiences. But yeah, certainly for people who come with more experience, if you've been responsible for a team or multiple teams or lots of different people, when you're back in a situation where it's a non-hierarchical classroom environment where you might have to be working in groups of people that don't have that kind of experience, of course that's going to be a challenge for you, potentially, or it could be a challenge. Um, but we see some people that have tons of experience that absolutely dive into that head first. And I suppose on the other, other side of the coin, you know, fresh out of university, you might not have that professional experience yet or know uh, 
bring that kind of uh, understanding of the working environment with you. But that's not to say that you might not thrive in, in the classroom environment if you're coming in with an open mind. Um, I think one of the things that we talk an awful lot pretty much on all of our programs um, about is um, growth mindset. It's been around for, uh, anyone who's listening to this from GA and hears me saying this will probably be laughing now because I talk about it so often. Carol Dweck's research that's now, it's been very kind of co-opted, but like it's now very much kind of in uh, education circles over the last few years of being pushed into schools and organizations about this approach to how you learn and your view of yourself and your capacity to get better at things and what happens when you run into difficulty. And I think back to your point about people who have more experience, if you come with 20 years of being brilliant at something, going back into the classroom where you're no longer necessarily brilliant at it, um, can be really challenging for people. So we talk a lot about um, that framework and talk a little bit about coming back to a beginner's mindset. What's it like when when you're learning something for the first time and approaching it with open eyes? This idea that you can change career in 12 weeks, I'm I'm not disputing that. You're obviously the expert here, but I have spoken to so many people who sometimes go, oh, you know, you you get this developer who's been learning a language for 12 weeks and they come out and they suddenly think that they're worth 50,000 pounds and then six months down the line, they're worth 90,000 pounds. It's ridiculous. They've got 12 weeks worth of experience. And I guess it's kind of hardwired into us that learning takes years because of school, because of university. it's almost like it is kind of preset that that's the length of time it should take to become an expert in something. And yet when you talk to people about universities and computer science education, they go, oh, well, it's not fit for purpose because they they learn something in year one and by the time they come out of that process, the industry's moved on. So it's like, well, hang on a minute, you can't can't have it both ways. So what what can you practically do in 12 weeks that does get you to the point where you go, no, this person is, is ready for the working environment? This is, I, I think it's one of the most interesting things and something that we talk about a lot, not just to students who are thinking about coming into the programs, but also to the industry too, when it's like, yeah, what can you achieve in, 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 in 12 weeks, for example? One of the amazing things about our full-time programs is that we have what uh, it's called the outcomes team, who are basically our career coach team uh, that do an amazing job in terms of preparation, supporting people going into the workplace. So you've obviously got the technical skills on one side of thing, and then the other side is about how you approach the job search, right? Mm. It's not just about you being able to demonstrate. Our full-time programs are designed to develop so that you develop a portfolio of work that you can show to case to an employer, right? So you can say, this is what I've studied over the last three months, four months. This is what I've been working on. These are the things that I've built myself. Um, and I can talk you through the process about how I did this. Now, having that is one thing as a, as a great thing to be able to talk to employers, but how you actually go about searching for a job, how you go about preparing your CV, how you go about preparing your digital presence, for example, these are all things that some people maybe don't have any experience in as well. So mm. the outcomes team work very, very closely with, with all of our students to kind of prepare them with that content. But another crucial thing that they talk to our students about a lot is that it is only 12 weeks. The expectation that you would have learned everything you need to learn to become a junior developer or a junior designer or anything like that in 12 weeks is ridiculous. Um, And I think something that's really important to us is that it's, I think, a a challenge to not just GA, but broadly organizations that do this kind of work is about making sure that we don't devalue the industry, right? That's, That's super important you're not going to be an expert. You're not going to be a midway or a senior in, 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 in 12 weeks, in three or four months. It's the beginning of your learning, right? We talk an awful lot about, um, you know, it, again, a common thing in academic circles or education circles, like being T-shaped, right? 
Yeah. You want that broad set of subject knowledge across lots of different areas, and then you want deep specialism in, in areas as you go. Um, we very much talk about GA being the top of the T and the start of the T, right? We cover a lot of different subject areas that give you the foundational knowledge because we tend to see that that's what makes someone most employable. Mm -hmm. And we also work on that premise of it's lots of different topic areas that you have to move through quickly. And what that generates is the capacity to be agile. Now doing that every day, day in, day out, over 12 weeks, what that, and over very long hours, what that ingrains is that ethic and also that capacity to pick up and have a go. You need to be finding organizations that champion and prioritize learning. You know, we have people go into a whole bunch of different types of organizations from early startups right the way to huge established brands. But when we're talking about the interview process, what we talk to them about is, are you talking to them about what your learning opportunities are going to be? How are you going to develop as a junior? Mm. Some people thrive independently without necessarily too much management or support and that they might work really well in a startup in their first role. But actually, most people need to have other people they can bounce off and certainly midweights or seniors that can help provide them with that coaching and mentoring. But at the same time, so it's this really wonderful and challenging balance of being able to say, I don't yet know everything, but I really, really want to learn how to do it. And that fine line between being humble, that I don't know everything yet, but I really want to, I want to get better at this, but also being confident that you can go and do it. So touching, and this is a, a final quick point, touching on some of the things you're talking about there, that mindset change is important. The attitude of someone is important now, maybe not even so much as the subject matter is. Um, if you were to give a piece of advice to someone who was thinking about their education, their skill set mid-career, what, what would that piece of advice, given the trends in education, be? If you're going to do something like a career, as significant as a career change, don't don't pursue the money. Like you need to love the subject. If you don't have an active interest, if you haven't done your research first of all as to what the discipline is, what it entails, what a day in the life might look like, you should definitely start there. Like figure out whether it combines. You know, you know and a good example for that for that for me is like one of the programs I support is the UX Design Immersive and the part time programs that we run as well. I'm fascinated by the social science and the research elements about that. I am by no means a designer, but I mean, if I wanted to throw in the towel at GA tomorrow, UX design is like a wonderful blend of, of art and science and requires an incredible amount of knowledge across different areas. But I'm fascinated by the social science methodologies that are required there. And for me, I could see that that would be a good fit in yeah. terms of where I've come from and where I could maybe end up if that was what I wanted to do. And I think doing your research understanding what's out there or getting a sense of what's out there. One of the nice things that GA does, amongst plenty of other places, like we offer introductory sessions about what, you know, an intro to product management or introduction to digital marketing to get a sense of actually, like, this is what the role might look like yeah, or this is what yeah. you, sh you should, you might enjoy from it. So I would say, do your research, uh, figure out whether there might be some overlap with, with skills that you already have as well. Again, like I said, our average age of students is 28. A lot of people bring fantastic transferable skills. You might not have had any uh, coding experience prior, but if you've worked with teams or you've been managing teams for a long time, then you probably have a lot of really good core important skills for working with other people that are crucial if you're going to become a fantastic dev. Or, you know, mm. the, the, people don't necessarily realize, and again, a lot of the work, uh, great work the outcomes team do is try and help people identify what strengths they're bringing into yeah. their next role and what what comes across from their previous work and how that can influence them you know 
becoming a significant contributor whilst they're learning these kind of foundation skills as well. Look, I really appreciate you coming in and spending some time talking to us. If someone does want to find out about General Assembly, we will include a link in the show notes, but the the web address is... www.generalassemble.ly Right. (laughs) Assemble.ly Yes, exactly. But yeah, definitely find it on, on Google. Well, thank you, Colin. Thank you very much. I think I think one of the things that stood out to me, uh, and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts, but I, I love that despite the fact that Callum had a pretty poor experience at school by his own admission, uh, he wanted to work with young people and he wanted to be an educator in some capacity. Yeah, uh, and it's it's so important to have um, people that want to do that because you know you're literally shaping the the next generation uh mm. and the current generation which is what i family interested about this was um him saying that the average age of, of people that they have is, is 28 um, yeah. and i think it's really important to allow like <coughs> people older than the usual like uni age to like fail and to relearn um and not just not just kind of follow this binary of school, college, uni, and then that's it. You don't do any more learning for, you know, you, you might like rise up in, in yeah. work, but you're not really picking up new skills. Uh, so I really like that. I think it's a good way to to just keep you I don't even, engaged. I, yeah. I don't even think that it's necessarily fail either. It's yeah. If I think about my own career, I was a recruiter up until about my late 20s. And now I don't think anyone would argue that I'm a recruiter now. I've kind of transitioned into some kind of quasi-content role, which still has an element of sales in it, but is mainly content and community management. But that happened around about that age. And I do think there's an element of, I came out of university without, still without a clear understanding of what it was that I wanted to do. And I'd got involved in various different activities at university, like I had a radio show, you know, and I wrote for for student media and I did a lot around volunteering um, and I was heavily involved in the student community. So if you look at the kind of stuff that I did alongside my academic studies, actually, they're all the kind of skill sets that have stood me in good stead in my early 30s. Mm. Um, But when you're 21, never mind 18, but when you're 21, 22, actually being able to articulate what it is that you're not necessarily good at at that age, but what you're driven by and passionate about isn't the easiest thing. So it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that, that 28 is that average age. Yeah, because I think there's so much pressure uh, on young people to have it all figured out from an early age. Uh, I mean, I know it was like that with me. It was like, you know, you have to just, first you have to know what you want to do for GCSEs and you're told that that's going to determine the rest of your life and then the same with A-levels mm-hmm. and then you have to make such a big decision of what to study at university. I was lucky that, you know, I was happy with my choice and I've gone on to kind of build a career related to what I studied. But I know uh, that people would just go to university for the sake of it, not really knowing what they wanted to do and they'd just do like a general course like English mm-hmm. um, or they'd end up switching um and then dropping out because it just it wasn't for them but they felt like they had to and they didn't really know how else to uh kind of learn what Mm. what was right for them really that that, that said though there is this narrative about just going to the university for the sake of it yeah my degree has very little relevance to the work that i do i still think that university was a very valuable time for me in terms of my personal learning and 
development. Like, oh, I, I, I do think that it's like, you know, there's this thing now that, oh, well, unless you're going to university to study this particular subject, it's a waste of time. You should be getting in, you know, and apprenticeships are fantastic. And yes, university is not for everybody. But I think we've also got to be careful that we don't kind of swing so far the other way that we start to say that university is not worthwhile unless you're doing something like medicine. It's like, well, actually, no, yeah. if you're 18 and you go to and you go away from home and you're quite shy, those three, four years can be really formative in building relationships and better understanding and coming out your shell. And that can be just as valuable valuable actually in the workplace as the academic thing that you're doing alongside it I mean frankly I got a 2-2 and I don't think I'm a stupid person and unfortunately I think I could have done better than a 2-2 but I was lazy because I wasn't particularly engaged with my subject but I did a whole load of extra stuff around it yeah definitely like um you know a large part of the uni experience for everyone is the um the lifestyle around it and it's definitely Mm. worth you know it's quite a high growth period of your life so it's definitely worth getting involved with I just think uh like general assembly is a really good way of like redefining kind of what learning is and like when you can do that and how you can do yeah. that um and I, I think the thing I think the thing that I really like about what they're talking about is this growth mindset thing you said about the capacity or the, the ability to grow and learn there they're kind of pushing growth mindset into schools and education and viewing yourself and your capacity to learn and your attitude towards learning and that I reckon would be really valuable for a lot of students further down the chain as well as later in life yeah definitely I think it's a good message that you know you don't have to like you said like you know you've you've ended up doing something you you really enjoy and uh you did but you didn't necessarily do like know that at university or do something you really were engaged with at university so I think it's it's good to see that you know you don't it's not the be all and end all if you do feel like uni is not really doing it for you. Like you can, you know, it's not like, yeah, you there's expiry day once you turn 21 and then that's it. You can no longer learn or pivot career or like grow in your career or uh, anything that it's, it's good to have uh, like learning accessible for, for everyone. And I think also as well, it's really important to like maintain the sense of value having work. If you feel like you're always challenging and learning because it's, I think it's like it's very easy to once you get to senior roles you just kind of feel like yeah like that's it then and you're you're in that mindset but I think yeah it'd be mm. interesting to talk to people that have that are senior and then have, have gone on the general assembly course and, and how they manage that um transition to being kind of beginners again and like you mentioned not having the hierarchical um situation in the classroom like I wonder how yeah. that would how that would feel it's funny, you know, this this made me think of Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> of course. <laughs> because, no, well, no, it, it, it's a really extreme example because you take a whole load of professionals who are largely speaking towards their top, the top of their profession. They've been very successful in one field or another, um, you know, whether it's acting or sports or whatever, to get into the positions where they're asked to be on that show. And then they're taken and they're asked to dance and it's something that they've never done. And they go from being in relatively senior positions to going with this pro who is like, you are you are basically at ground zero and I am now going to beast you till you are <laughs> able to do this. And it must be that thing of, oh, Christ, I'm I'm like bottom of the class again. And yeah. I have, I have, you know, first of all, the pros must have to create a, a learning environment that works for that individual. Uh, but that person has got to accept that they are not very good, potentially. Like James Cracknell's on it this year. 
Um, he has done, you know, he's won Olympic medals. He's run the marathon to Sabre. He's uh, done an expedition to the South Pole, but he might be really useless at Latin steps and how he copes with that could be really interesting. And I think it must be, you know, it's a slightly silly kind of analogy, but it's it's not that different from someone going from a C-level role in an organization where it's hierarchical and they're used to everyone kind of uh, reporting into them and, and giving them that kind of, oh, yes, you're the boss, to a position yeah. where maybe they're sitting alongside a 26-year-old and the 26-year-old is slightly better at it than them. They, they've got to get around that and leave the ego at the door. I think that's, that's it, isn't it? It's like um, it can be very easy to kind of fall into into like bad habits or not really progress with things that are changing or whatever like that I guess like the older and the more senior you get in roles because you feel like you know you kind of know what you're doing and there can be a bit of friction between kind of people that are starting out and people that are more senior so I think mm. this would be a really interesting like role reversal I mean what do you think would be the benefit for like companies um sending uh, like employees off to do these kind of intensive courses Oh, well, I, I can only see positives in that yeah. it will increase your self-awareness. Um, I, I think it was interesting at the event last night, I was talking to someone who runs a coding academy and definitely men struggle more with this transition. So I think that self-awareness thing, it, you know, if you think about hierarchical structures, they tend to be quite macho um, yeah. anyway. So I think that could be a real, real positive thing for kind of being able to understand and see the perspectives of people coming into your organization and look I've, I've been at the same organization for 12 years um and my boss has been here for over 20 years like actually going back to to school day one might be a refreshing mix-up that makes you go oh I, I hadn't thought about things from that perspective for such a long time it just didn't occur and it's not that you're being uh willfully um ignorant or obtuse it, it's just not part of your experience anymore yeah definitely like it, it'd just be a bit humbling wouldn't it because you know yeah. I am at the other end kind of at the entry level end of the spectrum and, and you know when you're going in and you don't really know what you're doing like you haven't been in this company before everything's new to you the people the way they work um and you're still growing quite rapidly in your own um ability you know you're very you want to learn from everyone you want to engage as much as you can you want to reflect yeah. on your own progress a lot and I think it's important to keep that even if you are you know a, a lot more uh, advanced or, or knowledgeable than people lower down I think it, it would be good to to keep that kind of um like like curiosity I guess about what you're doing and 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 wanting to keep adjusting and changing um so you don't just get like stuck in a rut with with how you're approaching things yeah. um especially in the realms of technology you know like it's like that you was talking about how you, you know university so much has changed in three years so from when you started and when, when you leave um i mean for journalism especially like in, you know the textbooks we were having were like updated so regularly but even mm. then they'd be kind of outdated by the time they came to us um and it's very hard to to keep up with that in in the slow like uh, full-time yeah. Um, three-year courses so I think there's definitely a benefit a benefit to to it in that sense yeah look I think there's so many interesting angles on this um I think we should move on to our advert break though uh, and get through to the, to the news section of the podcast but Callum um thank you for coming on and being our guest myself and Sean I imagine could sit here actually and probably natter on about this for half an hour so we'll fix time but um look thank you very much for coming on 
Stick with us. We have got uh, a quick catch up with Alistair Brown, who's the London chair for Bite Night, which is just a couple of weeks away. That's coming up after this short message. But Sean, thanks for coming on and joining me today. And uh, I'll see you on Thursday. You are welcome. See you then. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Two months ago, we had Alistair come on the show to talk about Bite Night. It actually might have been longer than two months ago. I think it was earlier this year. Yes, to talk about Bite Night nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now Bite Night is three weeks away. It is three weeks today. I don't know when your listeners are listening to this, but when we're talking, it is three weeks time. Fourth of October. And there is still time for people to, to sign up and sleep out? There is absolutely time to sign up and sleep out. We've got about 150 sleepers so far. We'd like, you know, a fair few more if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got all year to raise the money. So, um, you know, obviously people should get cracking raising the money. But the important thing is to turn up and support us on the 4th of October. Uh, spend one night outside because young people shouldn't have to. Yes. And it is normally a fun night. I say normally because I, I have experienced one wet night and I think you earn, you, you earn your, your fundraising money if it's wet. You do earn your <laughs> fundraising money, but it is still fun. Yes. There is a certain kind of uh, spirit uh, amongst yeah. the sleepers <laughs> when, it's, when it's wet. No, I, I, yeah, I will, I will totally endorse that. Um, uh, most years it, when it's dry, it's a lot of fun. Mm. And there's that lovely camaraderie between, you know, we're outside and whatever else. When it's wet, you really, I think it really brings home how awful some people's situation must be. It is. And that's a really good point. And as I said, when we spoke last time, I don't think we're not pretending to be homeless for the night. We're going to go home in the morning mm. to our families, to warm beds, warm showers. But we will be cold. We will be wet. You will know what it's like to have spent a night yes. sleeping on a hard floor. And that's a really powerful emotion. If you think what that would be like if you're a young person and you're now going to fill your day up trying to get warm before doing it again. That's why we do it. And that's why we do it year after year. Mm. But you've been fundraising. You ran a marathon up a really big hill. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, which I've, I've, I've spoken about on the podcast a lot. But yes, yes, it was about one and a half times the height of Ben Nevis. We were looking at it, myself and a friend who did it. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite emotional, actually. I, 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 I bet it was. It was more than emotional. <laughs> but you're doing brilliant. Your fundraising is going really well. We did some fundraising yesterday, but we sold cake instead. Right. Oh, so, well, that sounds so rather, more sensible. Rather than running up a really big hill, we, we had a bake sale. You see, what, what I think would have worked brilliantly is if you'd had a bake sale at the end of the, the, of the marathon, you would have sold every last thing you possibly could bake. We could have sold a lot of cake. Well, yeah. I suspect people would say they'd forgotten their wallets. They'd left <laughs> it at the bottom of the young frat. Oh, no, because cause their friends and family would have been yeah. there. Uh, yeah, I, I think I could have eaten for days. After anyway, that, so. people don't need to either <laughs> sell cakes or run a marathon up a massive mountain. Uh, they can raise money in lots of different yep. ways, reaching out to their network. Uh, most of the companies that, that um, support us, they, they really get behind their sleepers. They do some kind of matching or they allow them to host events. Got till Christmas to raise the money. All people need to do is go to bitenight.org.uk, register a team. Um, I'm easy to track down on, on LinkedIn. Alistair Brown, chairman at DT Squared, yep. advisor at Sascada. Find me. I'll tell you all about it. 
but time is of the essence. We need people to sign up and sign up today. Any hints on the pub quiz? Anything that I should clue up on? Well, <laughs> the quiz questions are under lock and key. Right. But there will be a quiz. It will be highly competitive. Uh, the prize will be something like a slice of pizza, which will be very grateful. Oh, yeah, no, I'd, I'd like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but there, there's, definitely, there's definitely pizza on offer for the quiz winners, but I'm afraid my lips are sealed. Fine. Look, I hope that people do take the time to register. It, it is a great event, and thanks for coming along and just uh, re-articulating that message for people to hear. And thank you for having us. <laughs>